Welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. On this, the 100th episode of the Root Simple Podcast, Kelly and I talk to Eric Rochow of Garden Fork about tapping maple trees, learning how to weld, and the controversial topic of taking care of cast iron. Before we get to the discussion, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers Dan, Heather, Lynn, Kay, Rob, Patrick, Stephanie, Becky, Robert, Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W., Susan, and Dutch Girl. Thank you all very much. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And now, our conversation with Eric Rochow. Well, Eric, welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. Hey, guys. Great to have you on again. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Eric. Thanks for being with us. You know, this... I, there's a giant snowpocalypse happening here, so uh, oh, right. I'm happy to be inside. There's like ice pellets pelting oh. the window right now, so... Are you like under 10 feet of snow? That's what, what uh, we saw on the news, right? It was supposed to be this huge storm. It'll be a total of about six inches. But New York is, you know, there's a lot of concrete here, so it never quite gets super cold, <laughs> even right. in the winter. So, no, we'll be fine. I'm I'm just happy to be inside. I got a roof in my head and talking to some of my favorite people here. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, so speaking of uh, winter, this is the time of year you do maple syrup, right? And tap because you have a house out in. Um, now, this is the Angelino and me. It's all I don't know. It's all the, a vague blur. It's all a vague East Coast blur. <laughs> but uh, you have a house. Those people in their small states. Yes, somewhere outside <laughs> of New York. Yes. There's the yeah. Like, it's like if you had a house in the hills behind L.A. I guess. <laughs> How far away is your is your country house from your city house? It's 150 miles. Okay, and so that's about a two and a half hour, three hour drive, depending on the traffic. Um, the hardest part is getting out of New York City. If anyone is familiar with New York, I have to drive up past LaGuardia Airport, which is a nightmare, and then get on the uh, Whitestone Bridge and onto the Hutchinson Parkway. And once I get there, I'm good to go. So, but up in uh, I live in I have a little. Weekendy cabin house uh, on Northwest Connecticut, which is the bottom of the Berkshires, which is an old mountain range. And we have sugar maple trees in the yard. And my neighbors boil maple syrup. And I was always intrigued by that. And so I realized that I could, you know, being the garden fork guy, I could drill holes in trees and tap my own trees. And every year I've kind of taken it a little farther. And this is my biggest year yet. So, yeah. Well, you've got a lot of videos on it, on how to do it. Now, you said take it a little further. Do you mean you're tapping more and more trees? Are they all on your property or are they on other people's property? How does that work? I started to tap my neighbor's sugar maples as well. Um, they're, they're good friends of ours, and they own a lot of land near us, and they have a lot of sugar maples right along the road, which makes it a lot easier than trying to trudge through you know, foot-deep snow with heavy buckets of sloshy water. And... I've been improving my uh, tap. It's called tap and tube system or a tap and line system where you have plastic taps that are called tree saver taps or a smaller diameter tap that goes into the tree. And then you use this flexible tubing that is gravity. I gravity feed it. You can use a pump if you want. 
and I go to a collection barrel. It's a food grade barrel. I actually buy them in Brooklyn of all places. Um, and yeah, I upped my uh, tree amount and I kind of bit off more than I could chew this year. You know, when you kind of first get into a project, you're like, oh, I can do this. So all December and January, I were going on hikes and driving around and I could eyeball sugar maples. And I'm like, oh, I could tap those trees, you know. And then it's kind of like when you go to Costco and you buy that, like that, that whole case of canned baked beans. And you're like, after the second can, you're like, what do I do with this? You yeah. know? <laughs> so I overtapped a little bit. I have a lot of tap, sap, which I can actually give to my neighbors um, and they will boil down. So it won't go to waste, but I just will not be able to boil it. Um, even though I built a new evaporator, uh, I kind of bit off more than I could chew this year. <laughs> well, you've got a video on how to tap them, which I just watched. It seemed pretty simple. Um, one, but I had some dumb questions. You know, it freezes, sure. right? So how do you keep the sap from freezing in the lines? You tilt the lines. You pitch all the lines down so that um, the basically the sap runs during the warm part of the day. And then it just starts to trickle at the end of the day. So the taps uh, will stop putting out sap because the tree is no longer pumping sap up to the buds, basically. So that sap will trickle down to your barrel and the line will drain so it doesn't freeze. If your sap lines sag, which um, is what I've had problems with in years past, it will collect in the bottom of that, you know, that sap of the, sag of the line and block the line until it's warm enough to defrost that. So, yeah. You have to have tight lines. And actually, my neighbors a couple of years ago made fun of my sap lines. So now I'm kind of <laughs> militant about it because uh -huh. the locals are making fun of the New Yorker sap lines. So uh -huh. I actually bought a new sap tool, a tubing tool that helps you crimp the lines onto the different connectors. So I, I'm, I have much proper lines now. And what time of year do you start tapping? Uh, President's Day, which is February uh -huh. 20th. Okay. It, it's kind of funny because you're watching the you're watching the weather and watching the calendar, and I'm like, sap's going to run late, and all of a sudden on President's Day, boom, it starts running. It just kind of seems to hit. You want cold nights. You want frost still in the ground, ideally 32 degrees Fahrenheit or lower, and then you want it to go up to about 40 degrees during the day, and that's your ideal day for sap. If it gets too warm, the sap can run too fast, and the tree is done pumping sap. And you've got a very short season. This season has been on again, off again. We've had two kind of warm periods of three or four days. And I'm like, the sap's done. But then it gets cold again. And my neighbors swear the sap's going to run again. Right now, it's too cold for the sap. And they say it's going to run one more time. So we'll see. And then how often do you have to empty those buckets? You ideally will empty them every day. If you have them, those metal galvanized buckets hanging on the tree, you usually empty those every day. I have larger collection barrels, which are like 40 to 50 gallon barrels. And I try to hide them in the shade of the tree or in the shade of like a pine tree, ideally. And I so I can keep them cold, even though if, if it's going up to in the 40s during the day, because of the sheer mass of it, it won't warm up that far. So I can empty it on the weekends when I'm up there. The problem is that sap has sugar in it. So the word, the term I've heard is called punky. It goes, the sap goes punky, but it actually starts to ferment hmm. or it starts to sour. And once it starts to do that, it has kind of a milky consistency and it tastes, it tastes sour. And your sap is bad. You can't boil it and you have to dump it. So the whole goal is to prevent that from happening. 
that happens to me every once in a while, but I have usually it's in individual buckets that I use rather than the big barrels. And can you drink that recreationally? If it's fermenting, it's you know making alcohol, right? So <laughs> it just doesn't taste very good. You can drink sap out of the tree, and it's weird because like I'll, people ask me about it, and so I'll save some sap and I put it in like a Snapple jar. You know, Snapple jars are great for. Um, you can recan in Snapple jars, by the way. Oh. Um, and I'll hand it to them and say, "Oh, here's some tree sap," and they're like, oh, "I'm not going to drink this." I'm like, "It's water and sugar <laughs> and some minerals and carbohydrates," you know. But it comes out of a tree. Oh. <laughs> well, it's funny because now they bottle it and they sell it in the stores. Oh, yeah. I've oh, seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Or spruce water. Isn't that a thing? Or Is spruce yeah, water the same thing? thing? Yeah. Yeah. Or birch water. Birch that's water. what I'm thinking is, it, of. is that just yeah. birch sap? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. You can, you can boil down birch. The sugar content here isn't as high. So. Oh, so there's I mean, like a birch syrup you can make too? Yeah. Yeah. Black birch. Yeah. Um, is a thing, but I, I, at this point, I'm so tired of sap that I won't do it. <laughs> now, how do you know how much sap you can take from a tree without harming its prospects? That's a tough, that's a much debated question. Um, there are some people that are fairly aggressive with their tapping, and I think it shortens the life of the tree. And the trees you're tapping are already like 15 years old. They need to be at least 12 inches in diameter, I feel. I put Two taps in a tree, maybe three if it's a very large tree, but and one tap it if it's a young tree. I, I kind of under tap on purpose because I want my trees to live, and the other trees I'm tapping are my neighbor's trees, and I don't want him to come after me going, hey, you killed these trees. So there's some debate on that because you can also take a sapling sugar maple tree and cut the top off it and clamp a hose onto it, and it will pump sap. I've seen and that. Then, it's it's kind of brutal looking. <laughs> like they have farms of those, right? Just yeah, yeah. rows and rows of decapitated little trees pumping for all they're worth. And then they become these bushy little saplings. So whether that shortens the life, I, I can't tell you. I just, I don't know. But at just kind of on Eric's observational m- method here, I just, I, I'm conservative with the tapping of the trees. I, I got so many of them. It's just like, there, I got maple trees out the wazoo. You yeah, know? and then how much syrup do you need in the end? What are you going to well, do with your syrup, actually? Well, you first got to evaporate. Well, you've right? got to evaporate. Well, what do you? Yeah, you have. You take all of that sap and you evaporate it into maple syrup. What um, do you have? Is that just syrup for your personal use, or are you giving it or selling it? I give it away mainly. Um, it's just kind of fun. You go to someone's house and you give them a jar of maple syrup you made, and most people the light bulb goes off and they realize just how many weekends you spent making this jar of stuff. <laughs> so it's 40 to one, usually 40 gallons of sap. You have to boil down to make one gallon of syrup. So wow. the sugar content of sugar maple sap is 3%. And the sugar content of maple syrup is about 60%. Wow. Now you, you made your own evaporator right now, or were there, there were two evaporators. So tell me about your evaporator situation right now and what it looks like. And, and that's a fair amount of work, right? To, to keep that thing going. Yeah. First I started out just with a deep fried Turkey propane burner and a very wide stainless steel bowl I got at the dollar store, but I burned through a lot of propane. And then a couple of years ago, I built a file cabinet evaporator that used two steam table trays. Um, and it worked pretty well. We have some couple of videos about that on the YouTube channel and on the, on the website. Then this winter, I found a guy on eBay, a welder who fabricates maple syrup evaporator pans, and they were fairly affordable. So I emailed him and said, 
Would you, could you make me one that's 18 inches by 48 inches, which is the size of this legal size file cabinet I got for free at one of those rehab stores? You know, it was a broken one, so I just got it. And I outfitted the middle, basically the cavity as a firebox and the evaporator tray, which is a stainless steel tray with three channels in it. That sits on the top, and I put a chimney on the end and a firebox door in the front. And I, it burns pallet wood. It's, it's the perfect size for throwing in pallet. You know, you break down the pallets and you slide them in and you burn the thing. And it works pretty good. I need to modify it a little bit, but it's working pretty good. And, and how long is the burning process? Is this a 24-hour thing? I mean, what do you, you know, have to get up in I, the middle of the night or how does that work? It, I burn like 10 hours a day. And it really helps to have friends around. But unfortunately, my friends, for some reason, don't show up. <laughs> so, <laughs> And um, I'm having a issue with the with my evaporator it's homemade there's a site called mapletrader.com that has a discussion forum and i've been reading on there about fires that run too hot and i my fire is running too hot a lot of the heat is just going up the chimney rather than heating up the sap because the, the sap will boil but it, it only boils in spots in the tray and it's not like a giant bubbling cauldron which is what i would really like so I'm reading online, I'm reading about how you can build some baffles into the firebox, kind of like a rocket stove has baffles in it, to slow down the escape of that heat and cause some turbulence inside the firebox so that more of the heat is transferred to the sap tray rather than going up your chimney. So that's, that's my challenge now. So You recently had a um, sap disaster, too, a very spectacular uh, video uh, of yours. Uh, yeah, of heartbreaking. It was right. kind of beautifully shot, though, I it, thought. It was. You had the courage to keep the camera going after the... <laughs> keep it I, rolling. I would have just... I don't know. It would have been just a string of expletives and stop the camera. And Well, my whole thing is like, you know, these, these home improvement shows are all very... They're very shiny. They have a thick coat of glossy polyurethane on them. And they never show the stuff that's going bad, you know. Like those flip it shows, they never show the meltdown that the couple is having behind the scenes, you know? Um, or when you put the Brad nail and you nail the nail through your hand or something like this. Oh, but yeah. with Garden Fork, I kind of embrace failure. And I think that's people why people like to watch the videos is because the mis this, you know, I'm kind of the everyman guy. And I'm like, oh, that went bad. <laughs> let's just, you know, let's fix this. Yeah, you know? for folks who haven't seen it, we should say it was a 50-gallon drum of... Um, sap that um overturned you had it in a little in a, a little cart that you were tell us what happened well i have a quad um and then i have a garden trailer hooked the back of it and then i have a uh it's like a 60 gallon food grade uh blue barrel and that's my collection barrel or it was my collection barrel and i would go to my different trees and dump the sap in. and then i had a, a friend of mine just gave me a gopro for free so i had the gopro running with the super wide angle and I kind of I didn't strap the barrel very well to the back of the trailer, <laughs> and when it was full, that thing is top heavy, and I hit a bump while going through this field, and um, the whole thing went right over. And it didn't it didn't make the quad fall over thankfully, but it torqued my trailer. The tongue is all bent now, and the sap just went flying. And that was like fifty or sixty gallons of sap. Oh. So that was. That was hard to see because that's that's a gallon and a half of syrup right there. Yeah. yeah, and that's days and days and days of work. But it looks like you fixed that. You have a more sturdy uh, barrel now. Is that is that right? 
Yeah, I went to Tractor Supply and spent a lot of money yeah. on a vertical uh, water tank, water storage tank. Oh. <laughs> I guess it's an agricultural tank. You know, it has a spigot on the end and you could pump like if you wanted to water stuff or put fertilizer in. Um, but it was more expensive than I wanted to pay. But I was kind of tired of losing uh, sap that yeah. way. So the better half said, why don't you just go buy this thing? So yeah. I have a very, very expensive maple syrup at this point. That, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it. Tell us about it. <laughs> but I keep getting um, people keep asking whether they can tap the maples in their yards. And you have to basically start thinking about that in the summer rather than in the winter. Uh, a lot of people have Norway or silver maples. And depending on who you ask, you might be able to tap them. I think the sugar content's too low in those to tap. But you can tap red maples and sugar maples, which are also sometimes called rock maples. And there's a video and a blog post on our site about identifying them in the summer. I should do a video about identifying them in winter because the, the bark is kind of distinct in a sugar maple. But if you don't have – if you have like three trees, I would not bother because you're, you're going to be boiling in a propane burner going through a lot of stuff to make basically a quart of maple syrup. Oh. So, Yeah, unless you want to just show the kids or something – well, how many yeah. how many trees are you tapping these days? Uh, probably like thirty five. Okay. So, Gosh, yeah. and they're big, mature trees, um, and they're on sap lines. So, actually, the tubing, the gravity, the pitched at a at an angle like that, creates something of a vacuum and will pull more sap out than if you just have a bucket tied to the side of the tree. Do you get rustlers? Are there sap rustlers where you are? <laughs> Go around, and steal the buckets. No, I've never heard of that. Um, it is, it's kind of sloppy to deal with those buckets, and it's a small town, so someone, someone oh, would notice it. that. You right. know, when there's a truck goes down the road and they don't recognize it, they're like, who's that? Oh, okay. And, and know, critters don't get into yeah, the... critters? No, no monkeys there in the <laughs> northeast? <laughs> I would think raccoons. Sap Somebody monkeys. would want to sap monkeys. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> would want to want the syrup, or the, the sap. No, thankfully, no. I mean, huh. the... You know, the, you know, the migrational birds aren't there. We have some chickadees and nuthatches, but they, I think they get their water sources from the snow or little springs. You know, we have springs in the woods that still flow. But I've, I've never thought about that. I've never really had a hmm. – moths will sometimes fly into the buckets and you have to scoop them out. But that's, that's about it. No, no raccoons. No. Sorry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I hear if we, if we, if we could set – tap it there would be i'm sure there would be all the angry raccoons just pulling the buckets and throwing them around and you know no i wish there was something we could tap here you know like palm, if you, palm trees like maybe nobody's ever tried to tap a palm tree yeah, there you we, go. we got a lot of palm trees <laughs> why can't we tap them palm tree syrup yeah well i also want to talk to you about uh welding because it's been on my list of things to to learn but I've never gotten around to it. And you just did a video about it. And I had I just watched, a, 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 there's an Instructables class that you can watch. Yes, that I, yes. I watched that. And, uh, you know, the, the woman teaching it kind of went through the different kinds of welding equipment. There's a lot of different kinds. So that, that has always confused me, like what kind to learn and, you know, equipment, what, you know, so what, what did you decide is, is the, the, the welding type of welding that's, that's best for someone like us who just doesn't do it that often, but maybe needs it occasionally. It's called flux core welding, which is, um, the easiest thing in the world. If you can solder 
a pipe connection, a copper pipe connection, you can flux core weld. It's or if you could solder an elect, uh, you know, electrical. If you want to solder resistors onto a motherboard, you can solder. You can do flux core welding. It's um, I you know there's a lot of these maker channels on YouTube, and every one of them has what's called a MIG welder, M-I-G, which right. is metal inert gas welding. Right, which is similar, but there's gas involved, right? What? Why? Why that? What's the advantage of that over? The uh, there's an argon or argon carbon dioxide gas mix that flows out your little welding wand and it creates an inert i don't know the word is sterile but it creates an area around the weld that is free of contaminants and allows the weld to happen smoothly i think is the word i'm there's someone that's yelling at the podcast right now because they do welding but actually jimmy Duresta, who has a, a brilliant maker channel on youtube was asked on twitter what kind of welding should I start with? And he answered flux core welding. And I know Jimmy, we hung out together and I was like, oh, so I was looking at flux core welders and I happened to be at the maligned, but I like <laughs> store, Harbor Freight Tools, <laughs> which they have some stuff there that is worthwhile, I, oh, yeah. I believe. And it's cheap, 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 cheap. And they had a flux core welder on sale. They were having their parking lot sale, which they have, I think, a hundred times a year, it seems. <laughs> or you can use uh, a downloadable 20% off coupon. Uh, they even have a coupon on my iPhone sometimes. It's called Value Pack. There's a website that has these mobile coupons. And you can get the thing for a hundred bucks. And for someone that wants to weld every once in a while, I think it's perfect. You need a little practice. You have to do it outside or in your garage. You're not going to be welding you know, in your closed-in shop in the basement. Because it's a flux core, which means it has a welding a welding wire. It's a thin wire that comes, it's fed from the machine through a flexible, looks like a garden hose, to your welding tip. And that, that wire already has flux built into it. And so it's kind of a, it's just, it's like lock, stock, and barrel. Just press the button, make sure you're grounded, and start welding. You're, you're, the metal that you want to do has to be clean. Um, and there is a learning process when you first do it, it's not magic. It's like, Oh, why is this not working? But there are a ton of really excellent, um, how to flux core weld videos on YouTube. And I actually have a playlist of them on my YouTube channel. That's called welding. Oh, there you go. And there's a couple, a couple guys that are really good at it and they're nice and approachable and they're not arrogant about it. And then I made a video called first time flux core welding. And I said in the beginning of the video, look, I'm not trying to be the expert here. I just want to share with you what I'm trying to learn. And a bunch of people left really nice constructive comments. And so I learned a lot just from that. So if you want to watch my video, um, we can link to it in the show notes here. And then read the comments. You'll learn even more. So, Did you take a class too? I did. I did take a class in Brooklyn. Um, there is a crew of artisanal welders and I'm blanking on their name right now, but they're at the end of the Gowanus Canal. They're called the Galapagos Welding Club. I'm blanking on it. But they um, offered a one-day class, and it was kind of like immersed, not, just kind of like, okay, this is this kind, this is this kind. Try, try the plasma cutter, try the MIG, try the TIG, all that kind of thing. And that's, it was the, uh, 
Brooklyn-y version of a welding class, but I learned a lot and I thought, okay, I, I don't need to spend the hundreds and hundreds of dollars on the MIG welder. I think the flux core would be just fine for me. And then I, I now I've been practice welding on my evaporator. And after the season, I actually been collecting metal uh, mattress frames. I don't know if you're in your neighborhood, but when people get Oh, they yeah. move oh, yeah. or they right. get a new bed. They throw out the old metal mattress frame. It's angle iron. It's steel angle iron, which is expensive. And it makes for great project metal. So I have a ton of that in my garage, probably too much. And that's what I've been practicing on. Now, you do have to be careful. There's no zinc in the metal, right? Isn't that one of the things that um, you have to be worried about? Or is, or is that not the case? You do not want to weld galvanized metal. And galvanized metal has that kind of nickel finish that um, looks like it's been gold leafed, except it has zinc leaf instead. It has, it can be a little shimmery. Galvanized is used in, um, if you have hot forced air furnace pipes, that's galvanized metal. So you gotta be careful with that. But I just use regular old steel, and then I grind off the paint where I'm gonna weld, because you don't want the paint you know, evaporating. And I use a full face hood, I use, um, these leather welding gloves. And I bought all this at Harbor Freight and it works just fine. I mean, it, it's not for someone that's working eight hours a day with it, but for me, it works just fine. A beat up old coat, um, a hat, and you want to wear safety glasses under your welding helmet because even with the welding helmet, stuff can bounce, go up under, hit your cheek and then get into your eyes. Oh, really? So I was a little surprised by that when you put the safety glasses on. I was like, why is he doing that under the welding helmet? But Yep, yep. That's uh, just something I, I was trying to follow all the rules so no one would yell at me in the video. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I guess you can get a sunburn, too. I didn't uh, I didn't know that. Really? Yep. I forgot that. Yes. The welding puts off UV light. So that's why you have to cover your full face. And that's why you have to have long sleeves on and your and your body covered. You don't want any skin covered because exposed because it really does put off. It's kind of interesting. Huh. And I, yeah, go ahead. I just said I can't find the name of the welding class I took in Brooklyn. Sorry. Well, I think I, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, maker space type. I, I typically think of, there's a lot of artists who weld. And I know there's one here. Kelly and I visited that. Remember that metal? That, that blacksmith shop? Yeah, that blacksmith. Well, that was blacksmithing, but I think they it, did welding there too. I think they did. There was all kinds of metal work. And you could just, you know, pay a – they have classes and then you can join – because that was the other question. Can you can you rent welding equipment? I mean, you can rent. Can you rent a MIG welder? And you know, if you just use it occasionally, I don't know. But then you have make, to know how maker to do spaces it. Well, you'd have to know how to use but, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The makerspace you could rent time in there. I know that 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 metal place we went to was like that. I found the name of the place. It's called the Madagascar Institute. Oh, cool! Uh -huh. And that was in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, their uh, tagline is "Fear is never boring." <laughs> <laughs> I'll look up. Uh, I'll look it up. Uh, the one near here too, and put it in the show notes. Um, well, um, including all the safety equipment, which is a what a mask and gloves and and the welder itself. How much do you think uh, <laughs> you you get out of Harbor Freight for the whole thing? What what are we talking about? About a hundred and sixty, hundred eighty dollars. That's not bad. And what have you used it for other than, well, there's the evaporator, but have you used it for other repairs or making things? Well, my lawnmower, um, underneath the lawnmower, there's a metal cowling 
that keeps the grass from getting bunged up into the into the little power drive part of the lawnmower. And that cowling came off, and I thought, well, I could, you know, sheet metal screw this thing back in, but then the metal screw would be popping out. So I just welded it back in. I was like, boom, done, you're out. It didn't have to weld, it didn't have to look beautiful. It just had to hold, and it saved me a, a trip. I mean, I'm all about keeping our local repair places in business, but it, it saved me a trip there. And I uh, I have some ideas for stuff. I just want to practice more welding because it's you really have to focus on what you're doing and clear your mind. It's kind of a meditative process, I think. You Once you do it, you'll be like, oh, yeah. I can weld that, yeah. And well, you're you're liquefying this this thing that is like rock solid that they build bridges out of, and it's and it's puddling in front of you, and you're like, oh, if I move the wand this way, it does that, and oh, there's the slag from the flux that boiled away, and oh, I'm connecting these two pieces of metal, and all of a sudden you hit this zone, and you're like, oh, I know how to do this now, and it's it's a cool. Th- you need to have one in the root simple garage. Okay, well, I'll yeah, give that no, permission. I, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> It was just Kelly, a, you heard that. <laughs> I heard that. Justifying a trip to Harbor Freight, which mm. uh, it's just the the when I watched that uh, the instructables thing, I got a little intimidated by the cost of the 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 more fancy welding equipment with the gas tank and all that. It seemed like a little much for me. Um, in terms, I don't think I would use it enough to justify that. That was like a, I don't know, probably a thousand dollars at least to, for all yes. that stuff. Uh, but, but you could weld your if your bike frame broke if it's a if it's a steel frame you could weld it with a flux core welder or if you wanted to fix the fenders or if you wanted to hack on some kind of new grocery bag holder you could do all that with a flux core welder. Is it just that the flux core is not as clean a weld? Is it just as strong as the other methods? Or I mean, why yes, would if, I? Yes, if if done properly, it's just as strong. It's just the MIG welder. There's barely any smoke. You can do it indoors. Oh, okay. It's very little prep. And this flux core is there's smoke and um, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't smell great. So you don't want to do it in your house. And it's I, I don't know if it's kind of looked down upon, but maybe it is. Um, and you can't weld as thick of metals with flux core from what I understand. OK, but that's fine with me. Yeah, it's not like we're going to be making a bridge. I guess. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, we, we actually should do a show live from Harbor Freight maybe sometime. Oh, get a, yeah. Get a sponsorship from Harbor Freight there. Well, their, maybe. Clamp, their spring clamps are great there, their yeah. gloves. You can buy cable ties there. I buy rope there. I buy tarps, you know, welding helmets. <laughs> maybe you guys can each be in a Harbor Freight on either coast live. Oh, yeah. Walking down the aisles virtually together. They have. Yeah. There's one here on the Gowanus Canal. It's like uh, the, there's a Home Depot, and then there's the Harbor Freight, and then there's a Lowe's, and they're all right on the canal. So you can just walk from one to the other, right past the asphalt plant and the cement plant. So I said, I was, before we started talking, I was going to send you this very funny parody of Harbor Freight someone did. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, too. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty hilarious. Uh, anyways, uh, what's, so what's the next uh, uh, Garden Fork video that you're working on? Anything exciting? I want to uh, revisit how to season cast iron. Oh, oh there's a controversial one. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. <laughs> there's you a have whole new. I know there's a whole world cast of iron cast community iron. out there, right? Uh, well, there's yeah, so many. Uh, <laughs> so, do you have a new uh, a new um, technique that you want to share? 
or not well, here for, right I, now, I have but... a couple of videos about how to do it. My first one was not very good, but it's unfortunately the most popular of them. <laughs> that, that happens to us too. And I, it's about restoring rusty cast iron. Then I put it in a vinegar solution overnight, and I was like, okay, that's rocket science, you know. And then I have one about how to how to strip one using oven cleaner, and that's a pretty straightforward method. And I have one about how to basic seasoning using flax oil, which is the ideal oil, but not everyone has that oil, and it can be hard to find. It has to be food grade flax oil, which is linseed oil, aka mm-hmm. linseed oil, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made one the other day about if you want to fully strip the seasoning or you have like a beat up one you got from a yard sale, you can use a battery charger and a, t- a plastic tub to use electrolysis to essentially unplate the cast iron pan. And it removes all the dreck from the pan. And when you pull it out, you scrub with a wire brush and it looks amazing. <laughs> Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw that video. People all link to that too, but that was amazing. Yeah. You have to have a manual battery charger, uh, which they don't sell at Harbor Freight, by the way. No. Because <laughs> um, I bought I thought I bought one that was the wrong one. You have to buy them on Amazon. And you use washing soda in the water and it creates an electrolytic solution. It's totally safe. And you have to do it in your garage or your yard. Don't do it in the basement because it is an electrolytic reaction that puts off some hydrogen, so don't smoke nearby, okay? But I keep – and then I did a video about can you use soap on your cast iron, and I think you can. And yeah, people argue on that oh, yeah. video all the time. That's a controversial one. Yeah, I think you can use a little bit of soap. You wouldn't want to soak it in soap or really scrub it with tons of soap, but I think a little soap doesn't hurt anything. Well, what happens is the oil – Uh, You want to use what's called a drying oil, which is like flax oil. Canola oil works just fine as well. Now, these oils have been used in oil paints for hundreds of years. And those oil paint paintings look just fine on the wall, right? Mm. You know? So what happens is the oil, as it heats or dries out, it polymerizes and becomes a glassy plastic kind of substance. It's no longer oil. And so soap doesn't do anything to it. Mm Mm-hmm. The problem is that that soap used to have lye in it. So probably pre-1960 or 50 or 40 or something, there was lye in your soap. And lye will lift off the seasoning of a cast iron pan. So it's kind of this old school thinking, oh, don't use that. And it's because there used to be lye in the soap. That's my thinking. So now I get people still asking, well, how, how do I care for my pan between uses? So I'm like, okay. Here and I, that you really, I just got to handhold them and go. Okay, you wipe it out, you spray a little oil in it, and then you're done. So I'm, that's my new videos. I'm going to show a couple of my different pans. And the other misconception is people think they season their pan once, and it should be this beautiful dark black color. And that's not going to happen until you use it for quite a while. So I was going to try and inform and dispel some myths as well. Mm. And there's a whole world of controversy about the type of cast iron right there's different grades of it and so if you're getting the older pans there's some that are better than others isn't that the case too right because the old foundry methods i don't know why this is but they would have a smooth finish in the interior of the pan and nowadays when you buy a cast iron pan it has kind of a pebbly finish Mm -hmm. and i'm told that's because of the casting method but i don't understand it there's people who think that the old foundry finish is much better than the pebbly finish. 
But that yes. might just be our ongoing narrative that things are not as good as they used to be. <laughs> you know, so who knows? And I don't, I don't really understand, but um, people have said, excuse me, oh, I've got my new pan and I ground it down so it was smooth. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's funny. It's one of the subjects that I'm afraid to blog about just because of the contention about different methods and the intricacies of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we are, we should be said, big believers in cast iron. It, it does, it is a good nonstick pan. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's probably, I wouldn't say it's a controversial video I have, but people sure have opinions and, and I'm just, I comment back positively. I'm like, all right, thanks for sharing that. You know, uh, I guess we'll agree to disagree, but you know, have a great day. You know, <laughs> that's right. It's entirely possible that a lot of different ways work, <laughs> you know, yeah. that there isn't like a right, a one right way. Whatever works for you. I mean, in, in the. In the bigger picture, at least in the United States, I, I think we agree on 97% of the stuff that's going on, you know? <laughs> it's just that 3% that uh, the, the politicians and news people uh, prey upon, unfortunately, to divide us, yeah. you know? Cast iron brings us together. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Eric, that we didn't uh, touch on? Any other no, new I videos? think we're good. Yeah. Um, I need to go take some cough drops now because I still have this cold. So. Yeah, I've got a cold too. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go shovel some snow and <laughs> and we'll yeah. go water, I guess, because it's hot out. So, all right. Well, I, I would be curious to hear how many Root Simple people listen to Garden Fork. So if you want to email me, it's radio at gardenfork.tv. Because um, I hear sometimes people listen to both and the suggestions in iTunes, you know, like on the Garden Fork page, it says, check out Root Simple. So I'd be curious to see how much of an overlay is there. Yeah, that's great. And and tell people where they can find uh, your videos and whatever else you're up to. Just type in Garden Fork. It'll show up. Um, Garden Fork on YouTube. uh, Gardenfork.tv is the website. And there's also a lot of posts on there that aren't videos. It's just Eric brain dump, you know, kind of stuff. Um, Little, oh, I remembered this kind of things. And then I'm on, uh, we have a Facebook discussion group, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And Twitter isn't really the best place for me. Twitter's more, I just see what Root Simple's up to. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, people should subscribe to your YouTube channel, right? Because that, that helps you. Um, yeah, helps yeah. pay the bills. Helps pay the bills, and you get uh, access to YouTube uh, educational yeah. equipment and stuff like that. I don't know if people know that. But, and uh, you can I'm, see the dogs. That's yeah. how you can see the dogs. Which is important. Labradors. I love By the, the way, dogs. you know, I've never heard my name mentioned on your show as a patron, and I am one of your Patreon patrons. Oh, no. Oh. Need to, oh, oh. Need to, ooh, oh. We need to correct that. All oh, right. the shame. At the end of the show, it's always, and thanks to Dave and Alice, and I'm like, yeah. where's my name? Okay. So thank you. I've been I've been very bad with the Patreon. I need to, to settle down and look through that and see what's going on in there. It's a great thing. I love it. It's like, it's just supporting the artist directly. Yeah. And you turned me on to it, actually. So I I appreciate your support, Eric. Cool. All right. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That was Eric Rochow. You can find him at GardenFork.tv in YouTube. And you can subscribe to the Garden Fork podcast in the iTunes store. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. 
You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple Podcast through our Patreon campaign or through a one-time PayPal donation. You can find those links on the right side of our blog, which is rootsimple.com. You can also purchase one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Thank you.